Well, we want to welcome you to River Rock Bible Church. Uh, if this is your first time here, my name is Charlie Turner, and I am the lead pastor here at River Rock Bible Church, and it is my privilege to, to be here with all of you this morning. Um, as you can tell, the room is pretty full, and we still have a few people that are showing up, and we'll talk a little bit more about the fullness and the awesomeness uh, that's, that's going on with the room being full here, uh, and a transition that we are making to two services, but... Before we do that, I want to um, continue on in our series in 1 Corinthians. This year, our theme as a church is build up. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul tells us uh, to build up the church. He says to make sure that we are, we are striving to build up the church. And that passage comes uh, when he's talking about our spiritual gifts. But we also want to understand that God wants us to build up his church. He wants us to be built up, number one, as disciples and disciple makers, A disciple is someone who has put their trust in Jesus. They know and they follow Jesus. A disciple is someone who not only knows and follows Jesus, but they are being changed by Jesus and they are living on mission with Jesus. So our desire is not only that you would know who Jesus Christ is as your Savior, but that you would be walking with him daily and that that would be changing your life. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. And then lastly, that that would lead you to be on mission with Jesus that you would be telling every man, woman, and child that you know about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we want to build up disciples. We want to continue to build up God's kingdom as we join him on mission. We also have said that we want to build up our influence in this community. And again, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But we're, we're studying through the book of 1 Corinthians because the amazing thing is that the, the book of 1 Corinthians was written to a church that was living in a growing city. Sound familiar, right? Georgetown, one of the top three fastest growing cities in America right now. Um, at uh, over 50,000. So they're living in this fast-growing city, but everyone around them, this is a place that is uh, a place of business. It's a place where athletics is put on a pedestal, where it's more important uh, what you, how you say it rather than what you say, right? They didn't care if you were telling lies as long as you told them well. Sound familiar? Washington, D.C., right? Uh, so it's not what you say, but how you say it was all that mattered. How you looked on the outside is all that mattered. Again, this is nothing has changed in 2,000 years. But what has happened is that rather than the church in Corinth going into the world and changing the world with the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ, they were bringing the world into the church. And so Paul writes the letter of 1 Corinthians, and we've been making our way very slowly uh, through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're now at the end of chapter 1 of this letter that Paul is writing to this very young church that is foolishly bringing in the culture into their church family, and it's changing them. It's changing them as a church. It's changing their relationship with God. It's changing their relationship with one another, and it's even changing how they view themselves. And so Paul writes this letter to encourage them, guys, you've got to make sure that you're not bringing the world into the church, but rather as a family of God, as one church, you are going into the world and you are having great influence in the world. And much like the Romans who were fighting for power and prosperity in their city, these self-absorbed Christians had begun to compete with one another for prominence in the church. The Corinthian church is divided in the good old-fashioned, my pastor is better than your pastor. That's the passage we looked at last week. 
And I got to tell you, if you're going around Georgetown and you're claiming that your pastor is better than someone else's pastor, that is a losing battle. I can guarantee that. I know many of the other pastors here in Georgetown, and I look up to these men. It is a privilege and an honor to be co-laborers alongside of them. So if you think your pastor is wiser, smarter, better preacher, whatever, you're going to lose that battle every single time. Um, these are, are great men and that, that I have the privilege to work alongside of, but this is where they are. Like last week, it was, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas. So Paul's going to continue his thought in verses 18 through 31. Let's look at this first section here. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is God's power who are be- to those who are being saved, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the understanding of the experts. Where is the philosopher? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made known the world's wisdom? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolishness? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believed through the foolishness of the message preached. For the Jews asked for signs. And the Greeks ask, and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. Because of the, God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Verse 26 Brothers, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Not really encouraging, Paul. Um, I don't like the way that makes me feel. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and he has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to something what is viewed as something so that no one can boast in his presence. But it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became God's wisdom for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, the one who boasts may boast in the Lord. You see, what had happened is instead of finding their identity and resting in Jesus Christ, which Paul has already reminded them earlier in this passage that you are called, you are sanctified by God, and you should be living as saints. And rather than finding their identity in that, they're still looking to the things of the world to give them approval and acceptance, and they're looking to man. The problem is that they're looking to everyone else around them, and they want to be like everyone else around them, and they want everyone else around them to tell them how great they are based on a measure of success that the world uses, rather than what God views as success. And so they're in this position where, where they just aren't living how God has called them to live, and Paul points out that he wasn't sent by Jesus to build a following. That's, that's what the whole previous section was about. You know, Paul's n- not upset. Um, he, he, he's not really concerned that much about how people th- think and feel about him. Like, Paul's concern is, I don't want people to think about me at all. All I want is Jesus Christ. There was a, a Moravian priest, monk, um, Count Zinzendorf, who said, it is the destiny of every Christ follower to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Think about that. 
Uh, and some of us struggle with that. And let me tell you, the reality is, if you preach the gospel and people are believing, you won't be forgotten. You won't be forgotten. But it also won't be your name that lives on two, three hundred years from now. It'll be the name of Christ that lives on two or three hundred years from now. Think about that. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. The gospel was a simple message that God had given Paul to preach. And they were making it very, very complicated, yet Paul here reminds them of the gospel, and he reminds them of how simple he came. In the previous section, he says, I didn't come with persuasive words. I didn't come with fancy speech. I just preached Christ and him crucified. And the gospel is this simple message. The gospel is that every single one of us, the moment we are born, we are born sinful. We are born in rebellion to God. And if you don't believe that we're born sinful, I challenge you to go serve in the preschool toddler area (laughs) for just one week, and you will understand that we are born sinful, that we have a broken relationship with God, but God in his love and justice and mercy did not desire for us to stay there because, because of our sin. We are separated from God, and it means that we, are, we deserve death. And not just physical death, but spiritual death, to be eternally separated from God. Because our God is holy, our God is righteous, and our God is just. But our God is also loving, and gracious, and merciful. And so because he didn't desire for us to be separated from him for all eternity, he did something that no one else could do. He decided to send his one and only son, himself being fully God, to become fully man, so that by being fully God, he would be fully uh, righteous, fully holy and perfect. Yet by being man, he could take our place on the cross. And when he died on the cross... All of our sin was put onto him. And he bore the penalty for our sin, and he died for the sins of the world. And on the third day in power, God raised him from the dead to prove that he had overcome sin and death and Satan. So that all who would trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, when they put their trust in Christ, their sins, the penalty for their sins, are transferred to Jesus Christ, and his righteousness and holiness are transferred to us. So that when God views us, he doesn't see our sin and our, our filth. What he sees is his son, Jesus Christ. So that we are able to not only one day stand before him, but we are, as Paul tells us elsewhere, we are ba- able to boldly approach his throne and come before him. And it ought to change the way that we live. And this is the struggle that Paul is having with the Corinthian church, is they have believed this message. They have believed the message of the cross yet it hasn't changed their lives. And so Paul writes this, this fairly harsh letter, not because he wants to shame them into doing good. It's because he wants them to experience the wisdom and the power of God. And this is the reality that we have this morning. And I don't have a very fancy message this morning um, because this is what it comes down to, is that you have a choice. Those of you who have put your trust in Christ and Christ alone, you have a choice. And the choice is very clear. You can either choose to live by the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of God. And you can either choose to live by the power of the world or by the power of God. There's a very clear line here that is drawn in the sand by by the Apostle Paul. And let me say this, if you are here this morning and you have yet to put your trust in Jesus Christ, 
you've just heard the gospel presented clearly. And I would encourage you that if you have, if you have questions about that or if that is not something that you have done before, I would beg you to let today be the day that you put your trust in Christ and Christ alone, that you transfer your trust from yourself onto the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's not about how many church services you attend. It's not about how much money you give to the church. It's not about how many good things you do. It's about trusting in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And that's it. That's it. And I would, I would ask that if you have questions about that, you come find me, find one of our elders or one of our other staff members after, after service. We would love to walk through that process with you of what it means to trust Jesus But here's the line in the sand that Paul draws. He says, listen, you're you're either going to live by the wisdom of the world or by the wisdom of God. And I'll say this, that when you live by the wisdom of God, you get to experience the power of God. And it's only in living by the wisdom of God that you can experience the power of God. Yet here they are. They're still seeking after all of these things. Now, let's break this passage down just a little bit. Um, Paul goes on, and, and I think it's important that we understand a little bit of the background of, of Corinth and what, what's happening here. You see, uh, the Corinthians, both Jews and Gentiles, put a lot of emphasis on things like knowledge and wisdom, and they were living their lives based on common sense. They put a lot of no, uh, emphasis on things like philosophy. They wanted to know who was the strongest, who was the smartest, who was the best speaker. Things like humility, serving others, humility and speech were not viewed as virtues but weaknesses. And so when Paul comes and he preaches the message of a Savior, the, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, who was hung on a cross and gave his life in service to others, this was foolishness to the Corinthians, both Jews and Greeks. You see, the the Jews were asking for signs, much like they did in Jesus' day. Signs, another word for that would be power. Demonstrations of power is what they're looking for. And the Greeks were looking for wisdom. And Paul says, man, all of that was manifest on the cross. Because God's wisdom is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness on the cross is stronger than human strength. Because when both Jews and Greeks, when the people of Corinth looked at the the message of the cross, what they saw was failure. You notice that Paul doesn't, doesn't see them struggling with the resurrection. Because the resurrection is all about God's power. People like the idea of God's power. People like the idea of a powerful God, God who works in my life, who can raise the dead. And if he can raise Jesus Christ from the dead, then he can raise up my life. He can give me good things. We all like that idea, but we don't like the idea of a God who would be killed on the cross, who would choose to die on the cross, to give his life. So this message of the cross becomes a stumbling block. It becomes something that they just can't wrap their minds around because everything in their culture tells them that, well, surely this Jesus must have been weak if he were to be able to be killed. He couldn't even save himself. Why would I want to follow a guy like that? I like this part of the message, but I don't like that part of the message. And Paul says, no, the message of the cross is the wisdom and the power of God. God demonstrates his wisdom in this. Because it no longer becomes about your works. It no longer becomes about what you can do. 
becomes all about what Jesus Christ did. And so he encourages them to, to consider changing their ways. In the eyes of the culture, the crucifixion of Jesus was the very definition of failure. And Paul tells them, listen, you can't abandon the message and the lifestyle of the cross because the reality is that, that it's a lifestyle. When you choose to place your trust in Christ, you're choosing to live a lifestyle of humility. And Jesus tried to get this across to his disciples, his very own disciples who walked with him to the very end. In Matthew 20, Jesus tells his disciples, they're fighting over who's the strongest, who's the best, who's going to be Jesus' favorite disciple. And Jesus says, look, you know the leaders of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. They love having power and they love telling people how much they have power. In verses 26, verse 26, Jesus says, not so among you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of all. For just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus tells him, listen, I didn't come to, I, I'm, I am God. And I didn't come here to be served, but to serve. That is where wisdom is. That is where power is. It's when we serve. And he calls us to this same lifestyle, a lifestyle of service. I love um, what he says beginning in verse 25. Verse 25, he says, Consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. What's Paul saying? He says, hey, you guys were, you're kind of dumb, you're weak, and you're poor. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for the encouragement there. Paul is obviously not a health wealth preacher, right? Uh, So Paul is telling them, listen, God didn't choose you. God didn't save you because of what you were, because you had some impressive resume. God chose you in spite of what you were. Can I get an amen? God saved you in spite of what you were. And he gives you this new position in his son, Jesus Christ, that he calls you to live out and to walk in that position. God doesn't need a fancy resume, so stop trying to build your resume before God. He didn't care if you had a fancy resume before he called you. He doesn't care if you have a fancy resume afterwards. What he cares about is your faithfulness to the lifestyle of the cross. He goes on, said, God has chosen... What is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one can boast in his presence. And I want to challenge you with this this morning. The cross of Jesus is not only the source of life, it is the way of life. And here Paul talks about He says in verse 28, he says, God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. How many of us are running after what the world views as something, but in the end will be brought to nothing? Rather than running towards what is viewed by the world as nothing, knowing that in the end it will be brought to something. I want to ask you this morning, how many of you are willing to live insignificant lives? How many of you are willing to live in the eyes of the world an insignificant life? 
How many of you are willing to live a life that is despised by the world? Because here's the reality. When I I talk about an insignificant life, I'm I'm not talking about sitting on your parents' couch, eating Cheetos, watching Judge Judy, or playing video games. That would be a very insignificant life. What I mean is this, that the gospel and living in relationship with Jesus Christ in such a way that he changes everything about you, not just knowing that someday I'll get to heaven, but experiencing what it's like to be in real relationship with Jesus Christ in the here and now, with God himself, having intimate fellowship through the power of the Holy Spirit, walking out of your door, living moment by moment, controlled by the, by the Holy Spirit, letting him guide you where you go, what you do, and the things that you say. And living on mission with Jesus Christ that every person you encounter would not only know that you are a Christian, but they would understand how to become one themselves. That that would become so significant in your life that everything else would seem insignificant. And I can tell you that when you live that way, the world will despise you. They're going to look at you and say, how could you possibly live in that house? It's so small. And you say, you know, you know what? We've chosen to live in this house because it means that we can, we can give more to our church. We can give more to missionaries and we're free. When God calls us to go do something, we're free to go do something. I can tell you that the world will despise you when you say, you know what? Our church is planting another church in a different part of the greater Austin area and my family's going to sell our house and we're going to move to go be a part of that church plant. The world will despise you. I can tell you when you tell them, hey, we just got our tax return, and they're like, well, let's go on vacation. You say, no, we're going to use our tax return because our church on May 16th is doing a first fruits offering, and we believe that God is calling us to have a permanent place here in Georgetown so that we can continue to reach more people. And so my whole uh, tax return is going to help the church in that first fruits offering. Or, you know what, I'm going to sell my car and drive a smaller car so that I can give money to the first fruits offering. Or you know what? I'm going to give up my Sunday morning. I'm going to serve in Sunday school and then I'm going to attend the second service so that these children can hear the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ and I can continue to meet people and worship with his family. And they're going to look at you and they're going to say, why in the world would you get, get up and go to church from 8.30 to 12.15 and give your entire Sunday morning? That's when we get all our best sleep. And they're going to despise you for it when you say, because this is what God has called me to. The world will despise all of those things and they will view them as insignificant. They will view them as nothing. But we know in the end that God brings them to something. That when we stand before him, we don't stand ashamed. We stand knowing that we have honored him with the way that we have lived and we have, we have done that in wisdom and experiencing his power. The life-changing power of Jesus Christ now, some of you guys think that, that these things are, are just ridiculous, that, that who in their right mind would do that? And I could tell you as a church planter, um, we had a number of families um, who gave things up to come and be a part of it. Many of them moved. Some of them moved to come be a part of starting this church five years ago, a little over five years ago. Some people since then, in fact, uh, we're, we're going to have um, Christy Liner come up Christy and JT. JT is one of our newer elders here at River Rock Bible Church, and his wife Christy is here. They both serve in middle school right now, 
and come on up here, Christy. They both serve in middle school, our brand new ministry that just started. And a couple years ago, actually it was when I first moved to Georgetown, I met JT uh, and started interacting with him at the vitamin shop and where JT was working. He and I started having lunch. He was already a believer, but he didn't have a church home that they were regularly attending. And um, through a long, long process, they ended up coming to Easter and got plugged in uh, and have been a part of our church ever since then. And then one day God said uh, to JT, he said, I, I think you should move to Georgetown to be closer. They were living in Hutto at the time. Um, be closer to, to the church that you belong to and to be able to minister. And so they sold their house. It was your, your, like your nest, right? It's hard uh, to give that up. And they moved to Georgetown to be a part of that. Now, God has been doing a lot of other amazing things in your family. So tell us just about your family a little bit. Yeah. So my name's Christy, and we have six kids. Um, three of them I homeschool. And uh, so we just have a really busy, full life um, with our family. And, yeah, we moved to Georgetown a couple years ago. Um, just felt like we wanted to be closer to our church body and um, to be able to experience community like it's meant to be experienced. Awesome. And you guys have three kids? We have three biological kids, and we foster three children as well. So tell us a little bit about that journey. About two years ago, God started working on you guys. So two years ago, um, we have kind of had a heart for missions for a long time. And um, two years ago, we decided to go on the mission trip um, that Jared and Devin were leading. And um, it was a fantastic experience, and we got to... Um, spend time particularly with a group of teenage girls, many of them which had been rescued from really tough situations. Um, and God just laid it on our heart that that was, um, that we needed to do more and that that was kind of our calling in life. And so we, you know, we prayed a lot. Do, do we want to do missions full time right now? Do we, um, you know, adopt? We just, we didn't know exactly what that meant. And anyway, we've been praying about it and felt like God was telling me at that point I was working full time, um, really more than full time, like a job and a half is what it felt like. Um, and that was kind of, you know, my whole focus and God just kind of took me by the shoulders and said, okay, I'm pointing you in a different direction now. And, um, so I started staying home and homeschooling the kids and, um, and God called us to foster care. And, um, so since we've, um, been fostering um, now for about nine months, um, and it's been a really great journey. Awesome. Yeah. And then this past summer, something else yes. happened in your family. So kind of a cool backstory to what happened before the summer. Um, we had, I mean, foster care is hard. It's really hard work, and there's days where it's really rewarding, and then there's days where you just want to quit, and it's just so hard, and it feels like you know, how can I keep doing this? And so you, you know, it's like in the back of our head, we're all just like, this is what God's called us to do. So this is why we're doing it. But there were days where we just felt like I can't keep doing this. And, um, and then our, one of our girls, she, she put her trust in Christ and it was literally like at the lowest point for us, just emotionally, the hardest time we had been through on that journey. And it just really showed us that, Man, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. It was not what we could do because we felt like every day we're failing. And but then she puts her trust in Christ, and it just it showed. Felt like God did that for us, so we could see that that we don't. He doesn't need us, but He lets us be a part of people's story. And so after that had happened, things kind of started feeling a little bit more normal. And like, okay, we we can do this now. And so we um, one Sunday, Bill was preaching, and he preached on Gideon and how. Um, 
you know, Gideon went to war with, God kept saying, less people, less men, less men, and so you will trust that God, and you will know, and give all the glory to God for winning that battle. And so that's what we had kind of been praying. Okay, Lord, what's next? Like, what do you want us to do, and, and how can we put ourselves in that situation where we know you're the only one that we can give glory to? And so we had been actually praying about maybe fostering a teenage mom. Um, and because I've worked with some teenage moms before, and so I kind of have a heart for that. And um, anyway, and, and then um, our daughter JC's cousins got placed into foster care. And uh, so we realized okay, it wasn't a teenage mom, but it was a teenager with a little brother. And so um, started fostering her cousins. Um, and it's just been a really, um, just a really rewarding experience. Hard, but. Um, God is good and just gives us strength to, to do that. Awesome. So you have a family who has kids of their own. They've already done the foolish thing. They've sold their house that they love to move into community, be closer to the church. That's, by the world standards, we'd say that's pretty foolish, right? They have three kids of their own, and then God calls them into fostering. So you're going to take someone else into your home, some kid that you didn't raise into your own home, that sounds pretty foolish to me. And then when, you, when you're already overwhelmed with four kids now in your home, you're going to take on two more kids. That seems pretty foolish to me. Yet we've already gotten to hear that they had the privilege of experiencing the wisdom and the power as they proclaimed the message of the cross to this young lady. And this past summer, she not only put her trust in Christ, but we had the chance to celebrate her baptism as a yes, church family. Um, so it was an amazing thing. That is the wisdom and the power of God. That is, that is nothing being made into something. Amen? Yeah. Now, Christy, I want to ask you one last question, which is what can we as a church family do to support you guys yeah. as you foolishly um, pursue <laughs> the Lord? There are lots of ways that um, you can get involved with just supporting Orphans, you know, you can support globally, you can support locally, but for our family, I think what we've seen is we are a part, we're all a part of rewriting the story and the lies that these kids have believed. They've been told a lot of lies and they've believed them. And it takes a village of people to rewrite that and tell them, yes, you're worthy, and yes, I see you, and God does love you, and God does have a plan for you. And so that's where, I mean, there are plenty of ways you can come talk to me, and I'd love to give you the list of ways you can get involved. But it can be as simple as saying, hey, you want to go out to ice cream today? Because that tells them you are important. And I'm going to take time out of my day, even though I don't know you, and even though it may be awkward, because it is awkward a lot of times. Middle school girls are kind of awkward. I was one at one point, you know. And so, um, but it takes, you know, if, if you can just be uncomfortable and, um, you know, and reach out to them and, and just be their friend, that would be probably top of my list of ways that, that we could be supported more on this journey. Excellent. Thank you very much, Christy. You guys give Christy a hand. Thank you for sharing. Now I want to ask, how many of you are willing to listen to God speak into your life and to live as fools for the cross? To live a life where everything else is so insignificant that the only thing that matters is Jesus Christ and him crucified and declaring that message to yourself over and over and over again as you grow in relationship with Jesus into the lost and dying world around you.
I want to challenge us this morning as followers of Jesus. It's not bad for us to have nice homes, nice cars. It's not bad for us when God places us in positions of power or authority because I think it's great when God does that. I think it's great. I love my house. I think the struggle that we all have is when we begin to run after those things rather than the Lord Jesus Christ or when we hold on to those things even when God calls us to make a sacrifice. When God calls us to make a sacrifice of our time and what we try to do is we just add more and more and more and more and more onto our plate. The church needs me to serve. The church needs me to do this. The church needs me to do this. God's calling me to spend time with these people. And rather than saying, you know what, I'm going to give up the 12 travel teams that my three-year-old's on so that I can make time for this, we just keep piling it on. And then when it comes time to a breaking point, we say, you know what, God, I just don't have time. What would it look like if we said, you know what, we're going to dial back some of the things over here so that we can make more time for these things. You know what, we're really going to get a hold of our budget and we're going to dial back some of the, the $5 a cup Starbucks coffee so that we can make more room to support missionaries that are going out from our church, to support church planting, to support our church moving forward and having a permanent home. You know what, I'm going to give up some of these things. I'm going to use my spiritual gifts somewhere in the church even though it means I have to set an alarm on a Sunday morning. How many of us are are willing to live that kind of insignificant life? One that will allow us to know true significance. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, Lord, we pray that you and you alone would be our wisdom and our power. That we would look to you in all situations. And God, we we do know that from time to time, and very often you bless us with nice things, with great things, and that those are not wrong for us to have. But we pray that those things would never become a stumbling block to us. They would never become the most important thing in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live as fools. When the world looks at us, Lord, that they would see people who are so foolishly in love with your son, Jesus Christ, that it's all we talk about. It consumes our thoughts. It consumes our conversations. Lord, as we pursue your son, as we join him by living on mission, Lord, we continue to pray for 32 men, women, and children to put their trust in Christ. We know that we've already seen one this year, so we continue to pray for 31 right here in Georgetown who would put their trust in Christ. May we never forget, God, that you chose us not because of who we are, You called us and you saved us, not because of who we are or what we've done. May we never try to build a resume that is impressive from the standards of the world, but may we build a resume that honors you. Not to try to earn our salvation, but as a way to say thank you for the gift of salvation. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. As our ushers prepare for...